Hi, readers. Welcome to Books Connect Us from Penguin Random House. This is a podcast about staying connected with each other and the stories and authors who inspire us. On today's show, Max Brooks, the author of World War Z, The Zombie Survival Guide, and Minecraft, The Island, talks with his editor, Sarah Peed, about his writing process, survival, and his newest book, Devolution. Part survival narrative, part bloody horror tale, and part scientific journey into the boundaries between truth and fiction, Devolution is a Bigfoot story as only Max Brooks could chronicle it. This interview originally premiered on Dell Radio, that's D-E-L-R-E-Y-D-I-O, the dedicated podcast for Random House's Del Rey imprint. Del Rey is one of the world's foremost publishers of science fiction, fantasy, and horror, as well as media and pop culture titles. And now, here's our conversation with Max Brooks. Hi, I'm Sarah Peed, senior editor at Del Rey. I'm joined today by Max Brooks, the author of World War Z, The Zombie Survival Guide, Minecraft the Island, and the forthcoming Devolution. Thank you for joining us, Max. Could you talk a little bit about the premise of Devolution and what readers can expect? It is a horror novel in the vein of World War Z. It is a found journal of a community that has disappeared and no one knows what happened. We begin with the town of Greenloop, which is a high-tech, high-end eco-community based in the Cascade Mountains, nestled at the foot of the mountains. And these are not dirty, filthy hippies off the grid. These are the epitome of the grid. Greenloop is the new Levittown. It's the new model of the future. It is solar panels. It is smart homes. It is telecommuting. It is drone deliveries. It is the way of the future. It is the ability to give people the luxury of the Upper East Side of Manhattan while living in the wilderness. And it is supposedly the cutting edge of the Green Revolution. And it's working. Our hero, Kate, and her ne'er-do-well husband, Dan, they're having a few marital problems. They move up there to house-sit for Kate's brother, uh, hoping this will save their marriage. And for a little while, it's actually pretty great. I mean, you can wake up in the morning, and your smart home tells you if anything is wrong. And you tap on your phone for your drone deliveries, and then you telecommute to work during the morning. You take a lunch break with a nice hike in the trails in this beautiful angelic forest. Everything is going perfectly until Mount Rainier erupts. Suddenly, these people are cut off. And they're not just cut off. These people are completely forgotten because they're not in the disaster map. No one's looking for them. They're not off the grid people, remember? They are the grid. They depend on the grid. They are completely helpless because while they're highly educated and highly paid, they don't know how to change a light bulb. They have to learn to survive. They have to learn to fix their own homes. They have to learn skills. They have to learn to make tools. And that's not the least of their problems because not only is winter coming and not only are they at risk of starving, there is a pack of very hungry Sasquatch creatures that have been driven out of their happy hunting ground. And these Sasquatch creatures need to stock up for the winter too. And they come up against a pen of sheep, which are these people. And that is the premise of devolution. Where did you first get the idea to write devolution? I got the idea for devolution because I've always been afraid of Sasquatch. I've always been terrified. If you, if you know my work, you know that I write about survival. I write about adaptation. I write about people adapting to new situations because their lives depending on it. And it could be zombies. It could be World War I. 
It could be Minecraft. Somebody wakes up in this whole world where everything's a block and the old ways don't work and they, they have to adapt. And that is devolution because these highly educated, highly paid David Sedaris fans realize they're suddenly in a medieval village and they have to adapt to survive. So for me, this isn't just about Sasquatch. This isn't just about blood and guts, although there's plenty of blood and guts. What I'm trying to do is talk about the bigger issues, which is what I do with all my books. I'm always trying to infuse big picture ideas and lessons and questions about where we're going as a society and using horror or using fiction to do that. Even though this is on the surface a Sasquatch book, what I'm trying to do is to talk about our over-reliance on technology because that's what we're doing. We're, we're Right now we're building a society that is based on comfort and no resilience. I mean, look at us all now. Look at us in this pandemic. We all thought same day fresh delivery from Amazon is great. We can all live on that. But now we really need it, right? Now, especially in the first few weeks, nobody could go to the grocery store. We needed this logistics train, this tap on your phone and order your food. Now, most of us, including me, was an inconvenience. But what if our lives depended on it? And that is expressed in my book, where these people in Green Loop, they realize, oh my God, I was living in a world which gave me the illusion that I could live anywhere and still have the comforts of the big city. And that's not true. I was living on strings that have now been cut. So that's one of the big themes I really wanted to talk about, this notion that, that we have bit by bit given away our self-reliance and become more interdependent, which is fine, but it's interdependence without any backup plan. Speaking of the world today, and specifically COVID-19, you did a delightful PSA with your dad, Mel Brooks. Could you tell us a little bit more about the Don't Be a Spreader PSA and the salient points we should take away from it? It's exactly what I'm trying to do with devolution, is when you try to talk about these big things, you got to make it personal, right? Because if you just lecture, you're going to put people to sleep or you're going to scare them away. you got to make it about you. you you've got to open the heart. You've got to connect on a, on a deep personal level. So with COVID-19, everybody was talking about social distancing, flattening the curve. Well, that, that's graphs and charts. How do you understand that? How do you understand 20% of the people hit with COVID-19 are going to be severe? And of that, 2% could die. And of those people, we're talking about the most vulnerable in our society. Well, that's a lecture that, that once again, eggheads, maps, graphs, charts, I don't get it. I don't feel it. So I thought, let's make it about me and my dad. Let's make it about a son trying to protect his 93-year-old father from this horrible disease. That's personal. So I called my dad and I said, listen, can I, can I do that? And you saw the results. And in the vein of making things personal and realistic, what kind of research did you do for devolution? Uh, well, anybody who knows me as a writer knows that my hero is Tom Clancy and I try to make everything, everything, everything real. Also because I've grown up dyslexic, I'm also terrified of not doing my homework because I always had to work like 10 times as hard as anybody else. So I'm always like crazy anal about this. Everything about devolution, everything is based in reality. The volcano, I spoke to scientists from the USGS. I had a map up on my wall of where Rainier would erupt. I actually went to the place where I would have put Green Loop to see if I could physically walk out. You can't. That terrain is brutal. The weapons our characters have to make with these limited resources and limited tools, I actually did that with the actual resources and tools just to see if I could do it. As far as Sasquatch, I stayed away from the lore, you know, the sort of the ooky, spooky kind of lore, because that's a rabbit hole and you can you can lose yourself in that. And it's always contradicting. And it's also not based on any science. So I went to the science. I studied real primatology, real great apes. 
because I wanted to, like with zombies, if zombies were real in World War Z, how would it really happen? What is the real cycle of a pandemic? Same thing with Sasquatch. If there was a real species of great ape in North America, how would I really do it? When you read this book, you can trust me. I know what I'm talking about. There are a bunch of different points of view in this book. Why did you use the different formats like journal entries and interviews? The journal is great because the journal allows us the mystery of not knowing whether our character is alive or not, as opposed to interviewing a survivor. So there's still some great cliffhangers there. But also, the journal is limited because it's one character. It's Kate, and she doesn't really understand the bigger picture. But we as the audience want to understand. We want to know what is beyond her tiny little world. And so I included interviews with experts and people on the periphery of her story to give us context so we could understand the bigger picture. It would be like reading the journal of somebody in, um, in a foxhole in World War II. You'd break away to interview the Greek chorus of generals and politicians to give us a, a broader perspective. And so that's why I wanted to do multi-characters, basically to answer the questions of the readers. I've got to ask, why Bigfoot? Tell us about your love or maybe fear of Sasquatch. What is so terrifying to me about uh, Sasquatch, and this is what I really tried to get through in the book, it's not good, it's not evil. Good and evil is a, is a human construct. It's an animal. And animals, to me, are pretty freaking scary because you can't negotiate and you can't uh, reason. An animal is all about instinct. Hunt. Eat. Survive. Kill so I don't be killed. That's very far away from most humans, certainly where we are now, certainly from who I am. And so I wanted to have these people, these characters, who are at the top of the intellectual pyramid. I mean, they've listened to every episode of Fresh Air with Terry Gross. They love Ira Glass, well-read. These are intellectuals. That ain't going to help them. This is Fran Lebowitz versus a Yeti. I'd say Kate is our main character. So why did you choose her as a protagonist? You know, here's the irony. When I first wrote the story of Devolution, I wrote it 10 years ago as a movie. Dan was the main character. And for Dan was kind of a straw dog story where like Dan was kind of this sort of pampered loser who'd never failed. And, and he and he's, has to sort of discover himself and discover his usefulness. But within those 10 years, I've gotten older and I've matured as a parent. And I've also gotten into middle age. And I see a lot of Dans out there. And more importantly, I see a lot of Kates. And to me, the Kate psychology is much more interesting than the Dan psychology. The idea of, why do you stick with this guy? Why are you still with this guy? I found that a much more interesting question because I see that question around me all the time. Mostar is my absolute favorite character. She's resourceful, to the point, and honestly, she just kicks an outrageous amount of butt. Was she inspired by anyone in particular? In my world, as, as a reasonably well-educated, reasonably comfortable, middle-aged person living in the peak of civilization, I see a lot of my fellow useless intellectuals. But every now and then you have an outlier that comes in who's actually lived, who's actually had to deal with real challenges. You know, no bullshit personality uh, that says, hey, pull your head out of your ass. We have work to do. I wanted to contrast that because I, I've seen it. One character we talked a lot about while we were editing was actually you. Max Brooks is the interviewer in this book, just as he was in World War Z. Do you want to talk a bit about Max as a narrator in your books versus Max in reality? 
I always get uncomfortable talking about me. It's the same thing in World War Z. I, I try to keep myself invisible because I don't want to put up any barriers to anyone reading the book that wants to put themselves in my shoes. I, I want to be as, as neutral as possible to allow the reader to go on this adventure. You're a huge fan of audiobooks. World War Z is an incredible audiobook with a large cast full of famous and talented performers, and we're giving Devolution the same treatment. Can you talk a little bit about why you're so dedicated to creating such talent-laden audiobooks? Being dyslexic, audiobooks, very, very important for me. When I was a kid, I barely got through high school. My mother used to take my books and bring them to the Braille Institute to have them read so I could listen, so I could, I could get through high school. So for that reason, audiobooks to me is an incredibly important art form. So I put a tremendous amount of blood, sweat, and tears into the audiobook, and I'm very, very blessed that Random House has always been amenable. I always try to get an all-star cast. To me, this audiobook is not just going to be an audiobook. You're getting a classic 1930s radio drama. I get very uncomfortable tooting my own horn, but let me tell you, this is going to be good. I, I think people are going to have a lot of fun. What do you read or listen to for fun between writing novels? With COVID-19, I had to go back and listen to The Microbe Hunters, one of, one of the most important science books ever written. It's about the people who discovered the microscopic world and discovered the connection between these little microbes and disease. And it goes all the way back to Lee Wenhoek, who invented the microscope, to the guy who cured syphilis, uh, which, which means a lot to all of you who are on Tinder right now. So I encourage you all to read that book. So that's what I'm, I'm listening to again. Do you have a theory on how long we'll be in quarantine or what the world will look like after? Okay, here's my theory on the quarantine. My father's generation, the World War II generation, used to have a phrase, for the duration. There were no benchmarks. There was no like, hey, at this date, things will end. No, the war ends when the shooting stops. So in a perfect world, we come out when it's safe to come out because otherwise you're going to reinfect people. I found in the National Institute of Health a report from 1918, about 1918, where places that released their quarantine too soon just got reinfected. This is horrible, but it's a hell of a lot more horrible if we release everyone too soon and they all get back together and they just reinfect themselves. That could be a disaster. With everyone socially isolating at home, now feels like the perfect time to play Minecraft, especially those with younger Minecrafters in the house. Any tips for folks who may be dipping into Minecraft for the first time with their kids? Yeah, here's the thing about Minecraft. This is why I wanted to write the book. It's not just because it's a fun game. It's the greatest teaching tool ever. Listen, I'm going to get very deep and serious for a minute, so I apologize. But the industrialized Prussian method of education, there's only one right answer. Click the right answer. Move on to the next level. That's exactly how most video games are. Click, 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 boom. One right answer, the only way to advance. That is as obsolete as the dinosaurs, right? That's the steam engine. That is gone. Because in the world we're living in now, if kids try to learn that way, they'll be unemployed. Kids have to learn that there are many solutions to one problem. They have to learn to think creatively and find many paths. Minecraft does that. Minecraft can teach you one problem, don't starve. But there's 50 different ways to feed yourself and 50 different ways for those 50 different ways to find the food to feed yourself. So if you're playing Minecraft with your kids, don't just let them play by themselves. Show them that they're learning. Teach them. Make them aware of how important this is. That's why I wanted to write the book, because the lessons there are endless. This is possibly the greatest teaching tool 
since Gutenberg invented the printing press. What's your favorite thing to build in Minecraft? My favorite thing to build in, in Minecraft is a hot tub. I like the tundra because uh, I try to imagine how cold it is on that freezing plane. And so once I hollow out a cave or find a cave and seal it up, I still imagine that I'm freezing. And I think, how am I going to warm myself? So I love the hot tub of the lava glass water. It doesn't just warm you. In my mind, it puts a little uh, warmth and humidity in the air. Because let me tell you, I mean, it's when you're cold and you turn on the heater, it's going to dry you out. So a hot tub is multi-purpose. Do you think using monsters and other tropes from sci-fi, fantasy, and fiction makes it easier to teach people some real-life lessons? Yes, it's so important. You, you don't want to do some sort of lecture that's just going to put people to sleep. You've got to be exciting. You've got to entertain. You've got to make it personal. Horror, monsters. Monsters is a great way because you don't want to scare people. You don't want to trip the ego defense mechanism and make it too scary. Look, I've been saying for years, you walk into a room, ironically, talk about a pandemic, you clear the room, right? Before today. But you talk about a zombie outbreak, everybody starts talking about their plan. That's why the CDC had a zombie plan. Brilliant. Entertain and then educate. What do you want readers to take away from devolution? I want readers to, first of all, have a really fun time, have a, have a really good scare, you know, look out the window to see the trees rustling in the night and be terrified of uh, a giant shaggy fist smashing the glass, as I was when I was a kid. But I want them to think. I want them to think, how interdependent am I? How useful am I? What skills don't I have? What if something goes wrong? Which the world has agreed right now, because I think we're all thinking, what could go wrong? Thanks so much for joining me, Max. Listeners, Devolution will be available in hardcover, ebook, and audiobook editions this summer. Thank you for your, for your time. I know this is a stressful time for everybody. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Books Connect Us. For more great book recommendations and information about your favorite authors, feel free to follow Penguin Random House on social media or visit penguinrandomhouse.com. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard, go ahead and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts as it helps more listeners to find our show. This podcast is produced by Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. I've been Aaron Leaf, and until next time, this has been Books Connect Us. <laughs>